In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Nice to see all of you today. Uh, We are at number four in a four-part sermon series. It's each week in February. We've been going through and talking about Christian discipleship. We began by saying that a Christian is eager to worship, uh, then invested in others. Last week we said that uh, the Christian is confident in Scripture. And today we'll see that the Christian is gracious and generous in spirit. And I actually think this is the hardest one because it is the most intuitively obvious, right? I mean, people, regardless of their faith, uh, seem to understand that followers of Jesus ought to be kind and gracious and generous. And yet, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Christians can be awful. So, uh, and it's true. I mean, it's ter- the truth is that, that Christians can be just like other humans. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way that works. But uh, the fact that they profess to be Christians just somehow um, seems to make their bad behavior seem that much worse. And so we get re- a reputation, don't we, uh, as being hypocrites and things. So, uh, and it would might, maybe it's okay. If it were, it would be okay if it were just those Christians over there, right? But so many times it is this Christian right here, and and so that's a problem, uh, and that's probably just me, right? Show of hands, no? Show, um, you know, I think um, so. We began this series by saying that Christian discipleship expects, desires, and even strives for change in our lives, right? We it change is not what makes us Christians. I mean, what makes us Christians is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace, not by being good boys and girls. But uh, grace that we are given expects change. Not in the sense of it being a condition, like you can have this grace if you will change, but in the way that like if I jump, I expect to land. I mean, it's just a consequence. Grace, the consequence of grace should be change in our life. But change is hard. Right? Change is hard. Now listen, we all want change. We're desperate for change. Whole industries are built to give us the change that we desire. We want to change our weight, our routines, our income, our job. We want to change our past. We want to change our neighborhood. We want to change our family situation. We want change. But we don't want anybody telling us we have to change. That kind of changes the, the equation a little bit. When we're told we have to change, we dig in our heels. And, and we want to change on our own terms. But I got to tell you, digging in our heels does not work for Christian discipleship. Remember, we talked about, we started this whole series saying uh, the phrase, this is just who I am, undermines discipleship. The question for Christian discipleship is not what is comfortable for you. The question for Christian discipleship is what glorifies Jesus. Right? I mean, the point is not to get a Jesus that looks like us. The point is to get an us that looks like Jesus. But change is hard. So to help us, we're going to take a look at our passage from St. Paul's uh, letter to the Colossians, the third chapter. And uh, Paul is addressing the change that grace makes in us. And he tells us where to look what to leave behind, and what to step into. Where to look, what to leave behind, and what to step into. But he tells us all that under a qualifier. 
And that qualifier is if you have been raised with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ. That is, if Christ's resurrection has become your own resurrection by faith. If you have been brought by Christ from the death of sin and unbelief to a life of faith, then here's where to look. Here's what to leave behind. Here's what to step into. Paul's assumption is that he is speaking to a people who have been set free in Christ. Freed from uh, oppressive religious requirement, whether Jew or pagan in, in that context. And joyfully given the life of grace. He's already explained the gospel. Uh, repeatedly, we can go back just one example among many. Uh, chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes to the Colossians, The Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So He has covered the gospel And if you have been raised with Christ, if you have accepted that gospel, now let's talk about how that applies to your life. But if you have not accepted the gospel, well, then let's go back and talk about the work of Christ in you. But if you have been raised with um, if you've been raised with Christ, then here's where to look, what to leave behind, what to step into. So first, if you have been raised with Christ, here is where to look. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. That's what he says. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. Now, Paul is not saying that we should be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. He's not saying you can't watch football or you shouldn't concentrate on your jobs. But far more profoundly, Paul is giving us a new filter for understanding ourselves and the world around us. If you have been raised with Christ, then that new life in Christ is the principal identity of who you are. I mean, Paul says a little bit later in in this passage, Christ is all and in all. He's our identity. Jesus is the center from which we understand everything else if we have been raised with Christ. So set your minds on the things that are above. Avail yourself of the access, the present access that is given to you of the presence of God. Now, this might sound like a silly little example, but if you used to drive a 1982 Pontiac Le Mans and you have been given a 2020 Audi A8, right, you're not going to keep driving that Le Mans, right? I mean, it's going to take a little while to get used to the fact that you're not stinking up your garage and leaving oil spots everywhere. And in a weird sort of way, you may long for those days occasionally, but you're not going to keep driving the Lamas, right? If you keep driving it, it's going to leave you stranded somewhere. So get in the Audi and enjoy it. Take the time to learn all the bells and the whistles. If you've been given the Audi, get in the Audi. If you've been raised with Christ, then set your mind on things above. Because the things of the earth are going to leave you stranded somewhere. That's what you were rescued from. So where do we look? We look to the things above. Look to the things of Jesus Christ. And we try to make that a habit. Now, I've got to say, Lent is 
coming up starts Wednesday. What a great opportunity we have to make habits. Look down the road. Where do you want to be with Christ come Easter morning? And let's try to make a discipline of those things. Let's write post-it notes of little verses because we're reading a chapter of the New Testament every day. And so what do we, let's, let's make a post-it note of a verse and put it on our desk or a mirror or our dashboard. Let's, um, let's uh, do some reflection about uh, Jesus' life and our life and how that relates. Uh, let's work, kind of work it into my, our morning routine. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Second, if you have been raised with Christ and we're casting our gaze uh, on the things above, here's what we are to leave behind. And Pat, Paul is actually a little more forceful than me. He says these are the things we are to put to death within us. It's what the old authors would have called mortification. Things we should put to death. And he says sexual immorality, impurity, passion. And he doesn't mean like Things you're excited about. He means like lusts. Evil desire, covetousness. He goes on anger, wrath, malice, slander, and uh-oh, obscene talk from our mouth. Now, rather than going through uh, each one of these, let me say that this is not simply a list of things that God doesn't like, right? It is a list of just some of the products of the major thing that God is coming against, and that is selfishness. Me-centeredness. I heard someone describe uh, our Christian walk once as my letting go of my death grip on my right to myself. My letting go of my death grip on my right to myself. Because it's my insistence on my right to myself that comes so naturally to myself that leads me to put whatever myself wants first. And so I begin to afford myself little things justify to myself little things like sexual immorality, like anger, unloading on someone who crosses me, like telling a story that makes somebody else look bad to make myself look good. Because if I'm the center of my own universe, then I'm my own filter. And it's up to me to make sense of the world around me, so it's me first. But if you have been raised with Christ, then He's the filter. Right? He's my identity. It takes work to put those things to death. It does not come naturally. What comes naturally is anger, wrath, malice, sexual immorality, those, impurity. Those things come naturally. Put those things to death, Paul says. I've got to tell you, whatever little success I've had in putting those things to death, uh, putting the, the fruits of my own selfishness to death, it has involved a lot of repeated apology and repentance before God and before the people I've hurt. I, I mean, at least for me, the possibility of having to apologize again for, the, for something that I've already apologized for 20 times, it, that's a deterrent uh, to, to doing it again. It's pretty powerful. Um, and yet, we, when we look back, we see some success in our life of putting these things to death, stepping out of these things, that we actually see it was the work of God in us all along. Um, if you're a good parent, you've read the, uh, the, the Chronicles of Narnia to your kids, uh, or, or you plan to starting tomorrow. And, um, and uh, the third one, uh, at least in the original order, is called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in, in, in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, it, it, there is a, 
bratty, selfish little boy named Eustace. C.S. Lewis says his name is Eustace and he practically deserved it. And, um, and Eustace gets magically taken with his cousins, uh, Edmund and Lucy, to Narnia, entirely against his will. He does not have any desire to be there. They find themselves at sea on the ship of the brave King Caspian, and the ship is called the Dawn Treader. And Eustace is a terrible sport about it. He whines loudly uh, about everything. He just makes everybody miserable. And they come to this island, and uh, Eustace decides he's just going to slip away, get away from his terrible cousins, these stuck-up crew members. And he finds himself deep, deep in the woods, and he comes across a cave. And in the cave, he finds what he believes he really deserves, just a pile of gold and treasure. And he falls asleep in this cave, just sort of um, blanketed with this treasure. And he wakes up, and he finds that he has turned into a dragon. And um, what is clear to the reader is that Eustace has become on the outside what he already was on the inside. And through the course of a few events, Eustace is able to see himself for the dragon that he has become. And he doesn't want to be a dragon, but he doesn't know how to get undragoned. And so, uh, and so one night, he's feeling isolated, feeling terribly sorry for himself. He's far up in the mountains of the island, and Eustace comes face to face with the great lion, Aslan. And Aslan leads him to this clear uh, mountain pool and says to him, it's time to get undressed. And Eustace doesn't know what to make of that at first, doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not wearing any clothes, he's a dragon. And then he remembers that dragons are snaky sort of things, and so maybe he could shed his skin. So he begins to scratch and scratch and scratch, and and he finds that his skin is falling off. And he looks down and he's still a dragon. And so he tries it again and tries to take himself, take the skin off of him and he's still a dragon. It happens again and again. And finally Aslan says, you're going to have to let me do it. And Aslan takes his claw and he pierces straight into his heart. And Eustace recalls that it, it hurt worse than anything I have ever experienced. And yet it felt so good to have the stuff finally come off. And at The initiative of Aslan used to steps out from the dragon skin and finds that he is the little boy he was made to be. And for Eustace, that pain, that intervention of Aslan is both a grace and a glory, and it produces lasting change. Now, that leads us to our third and final point. If you've been raised with Christ, if you've set your mind on things above, if you've left behind your right to yourself, what do we step into? Well, Paul gives us this whole list, doesn't he? A whole list of things that are to fill the gaping void of what has been vacated uh, with our selfishness as we've given that to Christ. Humility, meekness, patience, love, forgiveness. And he goes on and on. These are the fruits of a God-focused life. They are descriptors of a life of peace. These are not simply qualities that God prefers to selfishness, right? These are the qualities that reflect His nature 
Reflect who He is. These are the qualities that God wants for us because they are good for us. These are the aroma that are produced by what the Spirit is baking inside of us. These are the markers of the Christian who knows that they have been undragoned. And these are the markers of the Christian who is gracious and generous in spirit. I love what Lewis says at the end of that chapter about Eustace. He said, it would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. But to be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome, but the cure had begun. And that's really the Christian life, isn't it? Letting the cure do its work in us. But it doesn't come by trying harder. It comes by looking at Christ, by being around Him, by spending time with Him, by coming to worship eagerly, by investing in others and being around others who are also seeking after Christ. It comes uh, from being confident in Scripture, getting to know uh, the Word of God to us. It's been said that we are the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. And if one of those is not Jesus, we're not going to be like Jesus. So spend time with Jesus. Take this Lent that is coming up and work it into your daily life. Come to church each week. Be eager to worship. Take a moment to serve those around you and let them serve you. Be invested in others. Read your Bible. Learn to be confident in Scripture. And I hope that you will see that the cure has begun its work in us. And we have begun to be a different boy or girl, as the case may be. Amen.